0: Um, This morning, we have quite a bit of text to work through, and so I'm going to skip the illustrations, and we're just going to dive right in. If you have your Bible, you can open with me to Colossians chapter 1. It was such a joy having my good friend and brother, Andrew, uh, here last week to preach um, the the Lord is just upon him, and it was very encouraging for me to sit under his preaching. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys to be continually praying for Pastor Andrew and, and Zion City Church, the church plant that's in Los Lunas, as they are desiring to make an impact for the kingdom there. Um, we come to a, a large portion of Scripture today, and I think what we often tend to do on Sunday mornings is ask this question, like, why do we preach the word? Why preach through the word of God? I think the reason is is like why we preach through books here and why our desire to do that is so that we're not just picking and choosing what we like about the scriptures. Um, you see, churches become idol worshipers not by departing from the Bible, but by taking the Bible and only the bits and pieces that they like and preaching on those. To do so, is to make God in our own image instead of getting to know the real God by taking every single line of scripture seriously. And that is not an easy thing to do. In fact, today we have an, quite a difficult text before us. And I don't mean it's difficult in the sense that there's some hard things that Paul says here. I mean, it's difficult in the sense that it's somewhat confusing. <laughs> In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Peter, who's the one who Jesus says, "'Upon this rock I will build my church,' he's the one who confesses Christ. He kind of leads the church through the first nine chapters of Acts. He is writing to churches, and he talks about Paul. And he says these very words about Paul. He says, "'There are some things in his letters that are hard to understand.'" In other words, the Apostle Peter thought the Apostle Paul was difficult to read, (laughs) which gives me a lot of hope, right? Like, here's two apostles, and one of them's like, yeah, kind of (laughs) confusing. I can get there. And so today, we have a passage of Scripture that can be somewhat confusing. And so what I want us to do today as we step into this text is spend a little bit more time with the text itself and a little less time with fluff. And so... Let's get into it. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. We're going to read through chapter 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable for I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We thank you that in the hardest seasons. You are with us. We thank you that your presence is real. We thank you that we can look to you and find hope. Pray that you would bless our time in your word this morning. Strengthen your servant, Lord. May these words be the words of you in your name we pray. Amen. One of the things I, I think we have, to, we have to do when we come to a text like this is start to observe the structure a little bit. And what I, what I mean by that, if, if I can explain real quick, is every single text, uh, whether you're reading a book or whether you're um, reading a poem or whether you're just having a conversation with someone. Every spoken word or written word is dressed up. What I mean by that is it has a skeleton, a flow to follow, and then there's clothing put on, and there's hats put on, and there's accessories so that you can kind of see a little bit better the picture of what's happening. But in order to understand certain texts, you've got to get to the skeletal structure and say, how is this put together? What is the structure of this? How do I understand what this text is trying to say? I want us to notice something that's quite interesting about the text we're in today. If we look at chapter 1, verse 24, and then we go all the way to chapter 2, verse 5, we see two bookend statements. In the beginning, Paul talks about rejoicing, and in verse 5, he talks about rejoicing. Just real quickly, repetition is a good key to biblical interpretation. Paul here starts out with these bookend statements of rejoicing, and then he moves inwards. In verse 24, he talks about rejoicing. Verse 5, he talks about rejoicing. Then in verses 25 to 28, he's talking about the riches of God's mystery made known in Christ. In verses 2 and 4, those are kind of mirroring each other. He's talking about the riches of God's mystery made known in Christ. And then right there, smack dab in the middle of those two outside phrases, he's talking about struggling for the gospel laboring on behalf of the church. And right there, it's in those two phrases that we start to begin to understand what it is that Paul is attempting to communicate. And so I have three summary statements for us today that are going to guide us as we work through this text today. The first summary statement is this, that suffering is a part of the Christian life. The second summary statement that I have is that we can rejoice in suffering when we know who Christ is. And the third is suffering for the work of the gospel is always worth it. Let's get into that first statement. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. Verse 24, Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For his body. That is the church. Now, I read this statement a few weeks ago as I started to work on this sermon, and I thought to myself, really, Paul? In a book where you're talking of how Christ is enough and the chief temptation for the people in Colossae is to say that Christ isn't enough, you choose to say that Christ is lacking? Why? <laughs> what are you doing here? Why would you do this to me? (laughs) Because it's all about me, right? Um, (laughs) Like, couldn't he have used some other language? So when we come to this text, here's what we can't say because of what the rest of the book is saying. We cannot say that Christ is not enough. Because the rest of the book is saying, you can't say that. The rest of the book is saying that when we minimize Christ, when we take away from Christ, we miss the gospel. So what could this possibly mean when Paul says that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Let's go ahead and uh, break down that statement for a moment. I know we're a little text heavy today, but it's a good thing. It's, It's for a purpose. He says this, he is suffering for them. Now this is really interesting. How is he suffering for the church in Colossae? Because he's actually never met them. He he didn't plant the church in Colossae. He's never met this church. He's writing this letter on behalf of Epaphras, who's the pastor of this church. So how is it that when he comes to this text, he can say, I'm suffering for these people that I've never met? He recognizes that somehow in the way that he is facing suffering, it is for them. What's interesting here is he doesn't say that he's suffering for Christ. He says that he's suffering for them. It says he's completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for them. Uh, I think when we come to this text, we have to do a couple things. We have to look outward a little bit. Paul here says that he is suffering with Christ for them. Acts chapter 9 is the story of Paul. Paul was a zealous defender of the Jewish faith. And when I say zealous, I mean zealous to the point of killing anybody who would question it or challenge it. And so when the Christian faith came along and was challenging the Jewish faith, Paul's like, we got to go after this. We got to shut this down. And so he zealously goes after Christians and starts killing Christians on behalf of the Jewish faith. And what comes out of that is he's on the road to Damascus to go take out some more Christians, and the Lord just divinely meets him on the road. He knocks Paul off of his donkey and then he says these words. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now that's a very unique phrase to say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting the church. You see, Paul's conversion story was so profound that he recognizes this truth. As he moves outward in gospel ministry facing persecution, he knows that it is not just him being persecuted. It's Christ. You see, Christ so intricately unites himself to his people that when they suffer, he suffers. Now, there's different types of suffering that I think we need to talk about here. The first type of suffering that I want to address is a suffering that is due to sin. Consequential suffering. You made a bad decision and here are the consequences. You were foolish and it led to pain. Now that is a different kind of suffering, but even in that, suffering as a result of your sin and feeling the weight of consequences, Christ has taken the punishment for those sins. So even in that space, he is suffering on your behalf and with you. Now, there's another type of suffering which I think is important for us to have a category for in our conversation, and it's suffering as a part of living in a fallen world. One of the most damaging things I think we can see in a church is when we look at suffering that is because of a fallen world, and we blame an individual and say it's their sin that caused it. Christian, brother and sister, if, if you are sick, it does not mean that it was your sin that caused that. That is a result of living in a fallen world. And so, yes, we can say that sin is responsible for all suffering, but that's because of fractured creation, not necessarily because you sinned. And so maybe you're struggling in here this morning with cancer, or, or maybe you come in here this morning with uh, another type of disease, or maybe you've had a miscarriage in the past. Hear me. That is not your fault. And it's important that you know that, and it's important that you have a category for that part of sin, because if you believe that it was your fault, then here's what's going to happen. You're going to push away from God Instead of drawing near to him in those moments. Now, there's a third category of sin, or of suffering, that I think we also have to talk about. And that is suffering for faithfulness to Christ in the public square. Like when you are being faithful to Christ and it causes you to suffer, when it causes you to come up against persecution, when it causes you to face a A position that you never found yourself facing before where you might be losing things because of your faithfulness to Christ. Now that suffering, Christ is also there. And he so unites himself to you there in that place that you can draw near to him. This is what all believers can hold in common and can hold out as comfort in this moment that in all trials in all sufferings in all your pain and affliction especially in moments when you suffer for the sake of the gospel you share in the cross of Christ you share in the sufferings of Jesus because he so unites himself to you as a Christian that he does not separate himself from you he draws nearer to you in your suffering which means that if we share in his sufferings, we will also get to share in his resurrection. Let's go to that next phrase, we can rejoice in suffering, or that next summary statement, we can rejoice in suffering, knowing who Christ is. Verse 27, we're kind of bouncing all over the place today, I think it's necessary to track the author's thoughts here, but he says in verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. All throughout scripture, we have these testimonies of these ideas, like count it all joy when you encounter various troubles, and rejoice in your afflictions. This is the narrative surrounding suffering in the biblical text. Why would we do that? How can we say these things? We can say these things because if we look to the life of Christ, where he says that, Hebrews tells us that the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, Jesus was not some super spiritual giant who jumped on the cross with a smile on his face and said, yes, this is amazing. I love, like, that's not what we see in Scripture. That's not Jesus' response to suffering. He felt the pain. In fact, if we were to look at Jesus prior to going to the cross, he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, weeping tears of blood. His view of suffering is not some just focus outside of the body, be as super spiritual as as possible, and smile as they persecute you. That's not what he's advocating for. And that's not what Paul is advocating for. But for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. You see, what he was trading in his sufferings was to buy the redemption of his people. In that moment, as he goes to the cross, he can go joyfully knowing that although this is painful, although this is hard, although this will be incredibly difficult and this will hurt, The joy before me is so much greater. And the joy before him was you and me. The sufferings on the cross bought the redemption of his people. That's the joy set before him that he endured the cross for. And so now we come to Paul. Paul making this statement. Christ's afflictions for his body. Paul's sufferings, when he looks at the church in Colossae, when he looks at what he's doing for the gospel ministry, he is saying that for the joy set before me, I will endure this suffering. And what is the joy set before him? It's that the church would come to know who God is and be presented mature. So what might be lacking in Christ's sufferings? Well, what we cannot say is that what was lacking in Christ's sufferings was salvation-based. Christ accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished on the cross, and when he was there, he said, It is finished. Everything needed for salvation. So what is Paul talking about here? One of the things we have to make note of is that it is God's plan that we as Christians be conformed to the image of Christ by enduring suffering. We are conformed to the image of Christ. As he endured the cross, we are called also to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. Those sufferings, when we suffer, it's not just something that bears fruit for us. It bears fruit for those around us. Paul's sufferings here do not just bear fruit for him, but they bear fruit for the entire body. You see, the body of Christ had been strengthened by Paul's sufferings. He knows that his afflictions are doing something for the entire church. This section of Scripture starts out with saying he rejoices in his sufferings. The mirror section in verse 5 shows the result of his sufferings. What is the result of his sufferings? That they are strengthened in their faith. What Paul is doing here is he is looking outwards and he is saying, I will take the suffering so that other people can know the gospel. Verse 29 and verse 1 are really important for us. He says, I labor for you even though I've never met you. (laughs) Verse 1, I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. This is a fascinating concept to me and I think it's one that's really important for us to get. Paul recognizes that what he is doing in his suffering will benefit those who have never met him. You and I benefit even though we've never met him. One of the things I'm constantly thinking about as I'm praying and desiring that the Lord would give me 40 years here is who the next guy is. Like, Someday, someone else will pastor this church, Lord willing. And he's in my mind as we work and labor here to establish a church that is healthy for the next generation and for generations to come. And that fuels me a little bit. When there are hard conversations or difficult things happening, that gives me strength to step into those thinking, man... If this is for him, if it's for his benefit, praise the Lord. I have no idea who this dude is. He might not even be alive yet. But let's, let me, I'm going to step in and labor here. This is what Paul was doing. For the joy set before Paul, the fruit of the gospel ministry, he endures sufferings. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul uses very simil, similar language. He's talking about a man named Epaphroditus who completed what was lacking in the Philippian service to Paul. You see, the Philippian church loved Paul. They wanted to care for Paul. They send Epaphroditus, who is one of their members, to minister to Paul while he is in prison. Epaphroditus in that space acts as the physical representation of the love of the Philippian church to Paul. And so Paul here is saying that he is the bodily representation of Jesus' love for these Christians. In other words... Jesus left some suffering to be done for the church, for the sake of the gospel going forward. Not suffering for salvation, but for the purpose of the gospel going forward. T.J. Timms says this about this passage. He says, the gospel gets from one heart to another heart in a really simple way, through acts of dying love. You see, this is actually how you're here. This is how you are here in this room right now, through the work of Christ on the cross to die for you in love and the work of someone who died in love to preach the gospel to you. The work of someone who stepped out of their comfort zone to say, let me give you the good news of Christ. Simple acts of dying love where the gospel went from one heart to another. You see, this is every one of our testimony. My testimony is that my parents were faithful to die to themselves and to continue pointing me to Jesus. My parents were faithful to apologize so that I saw that I, I had parents who knew that they were not perfect, but they would point me to a God who was. My testimony is to look back at the pastor who, when I was 18 years old and took a job as a worship director on, at his church, looked at me and recognized this dude is not ready for this role. And yet, daily... He came beside me and preached the gospel to me and lifted me up and pointed me to Jesus and saw through my false facade of Christianity and started to get at my heart. That was a sacrifice for him. In fact, he he could have hired somebody much better than I was, and he didn't. He saw me and he, through an act of dying love, took on a project And because of that, my testimony is that through his act of dying love, I received the gospel. That is your testimony, too. Someone, somewhere along the way, through an act of dying love, presented the gospel to you in such a way that was compelling. It is God's plan that we be conformed to the image of Christ by enduring the cross. You see, God invites us into this act of suffering, that act of dying love for the sake of the gospel, so that we can begin to look more like Christ. When we started out in the beginning of this series, we talked about the fact that there is a level of who Christ is that we can't understand without walking in servanthood. There is a piece of who Christ is that we can't understand without walking in suffering. There is a piece of who Christ is that when we are in our suffering, we begin to know him greater. That is good news. We can rejoice in our sufferings knowing who Christ is. Christ, the image of the invisible God, the mystery of God revealed, the glorious wealth of God, the riches of God, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's important for us to notice the way that Paul describes Jesus. Riches, glorious wealth, wisdom of God. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am a terrible hype man. What I mean by that is I get really excited about some things, and I just hype them up, and then people, people are like, is it really that good? I'm like, it's really that good. You got to try this burger place. It's the most amazing burgers. You have to go check it out. And then they go check it out and they're like, I don't know that I'm going to trust Austin on other things. Because I get really excited about things. I get really excited about things and then I overhype them. And, and in overhyping them, there's way too high of expectations for people to be able to, for the place to be able to live up to, right? And so what happens when there's too high of expectations for the place to be able to live up to is people go and they inevitably are very disappointed because it didn't meet the expectations that I had set for it. That is not what Paul's doing here. For Paul, it is impossible to overhype Christ. In fact, what seems to him to be the temptation for most of us is to make less of him. The riches of Christ are unsearchable. Christ is compared to glorious wealth. Christ is compared to all the wisdom and knowledge of God. The fullness of who God is dwelling bodily in Christ. You cannot overhype this. Please see Jesus. That's what Paul is doing. When we see Christ for who he is and the glorious wealth that he is, is for our lives, we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that it's worth it for the sake of the gospel, knowing that it's worth it because he dwells with us, knowing that in those places our hope of glory is not circumstantial. Our hope of glory is Christ in us. Christ in you is the hope of glory. This isn't in my notes, so I'm going to go for it anyway. um, We're going to go long. All right. Um, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is the hope of glory, then we should be a radically joyful and a joyfully defiant people. There should be no circumstance before us that can steal our joy. Now here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that there won't be difficult times. There will be suffering. There will be pain. But if Christ is our hope of glory, if Christ is our hope, then nothing can take that away. And I do worry I do worry for myself and for the church that where our hope lies is often revealed when our joy is killed. We should be a radically joyful people, a joyfully defiant people in the midst of a world that is crashing and burning down. People should wonder why we're so excited. We should lament brokenness, absolutely. Please lament brokenness. There's biblical categories for that. But our hope is in Christ, not in the things of this world. And when we put our hope in Christ, when he is where our hope lies, we can actually relate to the other things in the world better. Uh, I was having a conversation with uh, one of our members at breakfast earlier this week, and and he mentioned how um, the creation had taken place of his worship of the Creator. And he was kind of talking through that with me a little bit, and how, how he noticed that he can actually love the creation better when he treats it as creation and not as worthy of worship. That is what we are doing. We, we cannot love the things before... I'm getting way ahead of myself. We can't love the things before us well if we don't have them properly ordered in the context of creator and creation. We'll get into this at the end of application, but um, you can't love your children well if they're worthy of your worship. <laughs> Because they're not, and then you're going to try and worship your kids, and then your kids are going to let you down, and you're going to be disappointed, and your hope is going to fade. But if you look at your kids as a gift from God, creation of God given to you to steward, then you can look to God and worship God and love your kids rightly. Same goes for spouses. Same goes for your relationship to your home, your relationship to your church, your relationship to your country, looking at them in the context of God being creator and recognizing that everything else is creation, we worship him and we steward the creation. We relate to it rightly because of it. When we switch that order, we are bound for disappointment and for disillusionment. And our hope is something that will always perish. So we have to put it in the proper order. Christ is the hope of glory. I need to get back. Um, <laughs> When we have Christ, we have all the riches of heavenly wisdom at our disposal. And so maybe you came in here this morning and you're feeling like something is missing. You're like, man, I cannot become spiritually mature. There's something missing from my life in order to get there. I see these people who somehow have something that I just don't. Maybe if my parents had just taught me this skill, if my parents would have brought me to church, or maybe if, you know, earlier on in life I would have not sinned so much, then I'd be able to get where those people have gotten. Maybe if my testimony was like Austin's, where he had parents who brought him to church and just made him go to church every single Sunday, maybe then I'd have an easier time of spiritual maturity, You constantly are feeling like you're missing something, and if you had that thing, then maybe you'd feel like you could walk in holiness or in hope or in righteousness. Christian, brother, sister, in Christ, you lack nothing. Nothing. You have the ability to walk in victory. You really do. You have the ability to walk in holiness. Christ is in you. Nothing is left wanting. You have all that you need in Christ for all of life. Do not believe the lie that you are somehow spiritually lacking where other people are not. Do not believe the lie that there is something about you that you don't have enough of as opposed to those super spiritual people. The pastors that I just led before you, uh, Kevin, Rick, our elders, Davey, and I said, model after these men. They're men, but men who Christ indwells, their stories are your story, (laughs) dead to life, daily, dying to self, living to Christ. Christ in them is the hope of glory. Christian brother, sister, that's true of you as well. Christ is in you. What a wonderful work of God that in broken vessels the hope of heavenly glory resides. What a wonderful work of God. This is something that you will never lose through suffering. In fact, this aspect of who you are, Christ in you, becomes clearer through suffering. So brother and sister, do not lose heart though your outer self is wasting away. Christ in you is being renewed day by day. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. My third summary statement, laboring for the work of the gospel is worth it. It is worth it. The work of the gospel is to make God known in the world. If we see Paul's statements in chapter chapter 1, verse 25, he says, I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Down in 28, we proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Verse four, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. The work of the gospel is to make known the word of God, to point out Christ in you, the hope of glory. Pointing out Christ in you, the hope of glory, is how we move away from arguments that sound reasonable that would detract from Christ proclaiming the mystery of God in Christ. This is the work of the gospel, the unsearchable riches that are found in him, proclaiming who Jesus is. This is gospel ministry. And this is faithful ministry, that we take that gospel and we teach and warn with the wisdom of the gospel to present everyone fully mature in Christ. You see, Paul firmly believes that if the Lord of all creation could go to the cross and suffer for the work of reconciliation to unite us to God and to one another by his blood, then he can and should suffer for the sake of the church, laboring so that their hearts may be encouraged and joined together in love through an understanding of the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is worthy of laboring for. This is worthy of suffering for. And those men that I just put before you at the beginning of this service, this is the testimony of them. That they labor for and they suffer for the gospel. This is the heart of your pastors here to labor for the gospel and for the church, to labor with the strength of Christ for you to know the mystery that is Christ in you. We labor with the strength of Christ for you to know that all wisdom and understanding is found in Christ. We labor with the strength of Christ for you to be presented mature. We labor with the strength of Christ for you to be encouraged, to be strengthened, and to be joined together in love. We labor with the strength of Christ for you to experience all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge found in Christ Jesus and we do so because we know that the gospel is worth it and that you are worth it. And this is your heart, church. I am so incredibly encouraged by this body. I'm so proud of you, your generosity for the sake of the gospel, your desire to pursue Christ in every area of life, your service in your communities, your passion for our city, your willingness to sacrifice for the mystery of Christ to be made known. This is true about you. You have shown it in the way that you have loved our church and the way that you have loved our city. I was incredibly blown away last week, having Pastor Andrew here, at the amount of people that strengthened him with their gifts. Whether that was through financial provision or through words of the Holy Spirit. This is your ministry. I'm incredibly encouraged by the testimonies that I hear from many of you of how you are sharing the gospel in your neighborhood, how you're discipling your coworkers. Ministry is not for the pastors only. It is for all of us, but it requires some acts of dying love from each of us. And you have done that. And I am so proud and encouraged to watch you pursue the gospel and sacrifice for it. I think a side note of application that I want to bring in here that I started to mention earlier. Paul continues in this text to talk about who Christ is, riches, glorious wealth, the hope of glory. You see, there's a really redemptive approach to understanding Christ in this way, to understanding who Christ is. And I mentioned it earlier. It's because then we can see rightly. Um, when I was a kid, I did not wear glasses for the first few years of my life. Um, I was always running into things, always, always bumping into things. I'd sit like really close to the TV to watch TV And when I went to school in kindergarten, the teacher sent me to the nurse's office because she was like, there's something wrong with this kid. (laughs) He's either sleeping or he's really trying to read that paper. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Sent to the nurse's office. The nurse called my parents and they're like, hey, you should probably get your son's eyes checked. Um, And so they took me to the doctor and it turns out, yep, I'm blind. Um... (laughs) And so I got glasses. I had never worn glasses for the first time in my life. Now, I, when I was born, I was born in Northern California in the forest. The first few years of my life were spent there. And along the freeway was just trees everywhere. Now, I had gotten these glasses and we're driving home. And I tell my parents, I'm like, Mom, Dad, I never knew how many trees were outside here. You see, having glasses helped me to see rightly. Without them, I didn't know, nor could I relate to my world around me, right? Like this close, trying to read things, running into things left and right, not noticing the forest and the beauty that surrounded me. When we understand Christ as the wisdom of God, when we understand who Christ is, it's like going from walking around blind to finally seeing the beauty of the world. Paul is, is intentionally using words like all the wisdom of God, the fullness of God, glorious wealth, riches, so that we would see and we would understand that when we know Christ for who he is, we can see the world for as it is. We can see creation for as it is. We can see beauty for what it is. We can relate to creation rightly. We can relate to wisdom rightly. We can enjoy the world in its context as creation. We can enjoy our relationships in the context of Christ. You see, people are terrible gods. Your spouse is a terrible savior. Your kids are not enough to reconcile you to God. Your job is not enough to provide you meaning, value, and purpose. When these relationships, though, are, per, are put in their proper context, viewed through the redemptive lens that our hope of glory rests in Christ, we can then wear the right classes as we relate to others because we aren't asking them to be something they aren't and can't be. The redemptive approach to understanding ourselves comes from seeing Christ that way as well. It means that we can now exist to proclaim Jesus. It is now our great privilege to proclaim Him. If you are a Christian in this room, you exist to proclaim Him. It will cost you. But when you stare into the mystery of Christ, you can realize that He is where all the riches of wisdom and knowledge lie. Everything else, as Pastor Andrew said last week, is an empty well. He is worth it all. He's worth the toil, the struggle, the suffering to remain strong in the faith, but he's also with you. You see, walking in the way of Jesus is to walk in a purposeful existence of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul, in another letter, says that as death was at work in us, life was at work in you. When we look to Christ, as death is at work in him, Life is at work in his church. And now, so as death is at work in us, life will be at work in others. Suffering is worth it. Laboring for the gospel is worth it. Because the gospel moves from one heart to another by acts of dying love. We walk forward now just as Paul did, and this is what he's inviting the Colossian church into, to walk forward with the strength of Christ that works within us. The all-powerful Christ has taken up residence in us so much that when we do his work, he adds his strength, and that is glorious. Suffering is part of the Christian life. We can rejoice in our sufferings when we understand who Christ is. And it is worth it to labor for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Lord, that you are not hidden from us. You are seen and you and made known through the pages of Scripture, and then you reveal yourself through your Spirit to us, Lord. So we pray this morning that we would be found in you, and you would be our hope of glory. That in you we would find our only true rest. Lord, we know that we just can't even begin to relate to the world rightly until we understand you. And yet, when we understand you, it shapes the way we view everything. Particularly in this passage, Lord, it shapes the way we view suffering. Lord, we thank you that you are at work in our suffering, that we have an answer to it. (laughs) That it's not meaningless. It's hope-filled. Your suffering wasn't meaningless, it was hope-filled when you took on that cross for us, when you were the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief in order to buy back the redemption of your people, you did that for the joy set before you. You did that for us. And so, Lord, as we step into spaces of suffering, whether, whether it's for the sake of the gospel or not, Lord, May we trust and may we hope that you are working and that when we step out, applying ourselves to what you have called us to, it is the power of Christ that strengthens us. Yet not I, but Christ in me. What a beautiful promise, Lord, that you have seen fit to dwell in your people, Lord. May you continue to help us pursue you, Lord. May we continue to walk in you. God, I pray for those in this room right now that are suffering, that are feeling the weight, the brokenness of this world. I just remind them to all who are weary and desire rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who fail To all who sin, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness. May they know, may they be welcomed by Christ Jesus the Lord. It's in your name we pray, amen.